0: I love the millennial generation and, and their social consciousness and their, uh, their awareness of their impact to their community as well as to their family and, and their work. And they want to be purpose driven in their work. I wish I would have given myself grace um, as a, a rising female leader to know that not everything's going to be perfect and that's going to be okay.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, our monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, President of IWF Michigan and your host. The IWF is a global network of more than 7,000 women leaders from 33 nations who share a commitment to advancing women. And each month we talk with one of these trailblazing leaders to hear her stories of lessons learned and insights gained during her career and life journey. So let's talk about life in leadership. Our featured IWF member today is Jill Castilla, president and CEO of the Citizens Bank of Edmond, Oklahoma, and a member of the Oklahoma chapter of IWF since 2017. And Jill has been named multiple times to American Banker Magazine's prestigious Women to Watch list, but that's just a taste of the impact she is making on the financial services industry. She has also been named one of the most innovative CEOs in banking. So what are the leadership skills that a former member of the Oklahoma National Guard and mother of three children draws upon to transform a struggling small institution into the most innovative community bank in the United States? Well, let's find out. Welcome, Jill Castilla. Hi, thanks, Anne. It's great to be on. Well, you have been described as an inventor and a creative visionary, reimagining the role of a community bank and how it interacts with customers. So what is your approach to this new world of financial services that
0: maybe is quite different from the traditional
1: banking mindset.
0: Well, I'm really fortunate that my board, uh, their mandate to me is that they want us to be around for the next hundred years. Our bank is 118 years old and, and they want us to stay relevant for another century. And it's that freedom um, to really think about making decisions today that will last for decades to come um, has really um, allowed us to To accept failure a little bit more easily, something that normally you don't see at all in financial institutions. Perfection is really what's demanded. We allow ourselves to experiment a bit, to have minimally viable products that we can push out to collaborate with customers to see uh, where, where our industry is going and not... Um, be so egotistical to think that we're going to figure out exactly what consumer expectations and preferences are going to be a decade from now, but also be confident enough to think about ways in which we can think differently. And um, for us, it's about trying to be as simple as possible. We're a really small institution, just one location, just 55 employees. So how can we be so simplistic Um, have repetitive processes, yet do things in a way that's different from everyone else. And and also, just not think about leading our company into the next 100 years, but how do we lead our industry into the next 100 years and be a a shining example for other community banks to follow.
1: To be the most innovative banker in the United States, community banker, I mean, that's pretty amazing. So give us some specific examples of the kinds of things that you have done that is why other bankers want to hear you speak and want to learn about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, so uh, some of the early things we did were um, our bank... Um, went through a turnaround and that's when I came back 10 years ago and we didn't have any money for marketing. We were really struggling, you know, to, just to keep the doors open and it just happened to collide with the social media boom in our bank at that time. We didn't have any money, really leaned on social media um, as a free form of connecting with our community and really pushing out what our brand was and, mm-hmm. and engaging with customers in order to um, reflect what, uh, what they wanted from us and and that they could learn from us through using social media. So that was kind of the first thing. That made us aware of some things going on in our community. Uh, There was a festival, uh, the largest food truck festival in the United States, being hosted in downtown Oklahoma City. And we, through social media, engaged with the providers of that festival and they um, we were hoping that maybe we could um, sponsor it. And they said, oh no, we've got a big bank sponsor already. We don't need you, but come join us and just hang out. And so we did, and we kept engaging on social media. Well, then one day they tweeted out, hey, you're gonna have to bring your cash um, because we don't have ATMs at the event on Friday. And so I immediately um, sent a message and say, hey, I can get you ATMs if you need ATMs. Um, and they said, hey, if you can get ATMs here by Friday, you guys can have a lead sponsorship. <laughs> um, and so that just hustle and, and being really mm-hmm. uh, quick allowed us to think, well, maybe there's different things we can do in banking as well. Around the same time, we were consolidated at branch locations, and we were we were signing up to um, put in an interactive teller machine that the ATMs, now that you see around, that you can interact with a teller back at a home base. As, as we are building kind of social um, network through social media, and doing these kind of kind of um, innovative things with the interactive teller, we had a customer, uh, a potential customer, come to us that was about 30 miles away in are in Oklahoma City, and she said she wanted to start banking with us, but she's a high end, uh, has a lot of. Um, cash requirements, a lot of coins, a coffee shop that's very popular in downtown Oklahoma City, and I just thought, you know, this, this is going to be really inconvenient for you. You're going to have to drive 30 miles each way to get a roller quarters, and I started tr- trying to talk with her about, you know, that this probably wasn't the thing for her, and she said, well, I, you know, actually it is. You know, I align with what you're doing socially. <laughs> I want to be part of something, and so I started thinking, well, maybe there's a machine that I can buy that can help her, like the interactive teller machine that I mentioned before, that would allow her to bank remotely. And I kept looking and I couldn't find anything. And so I finally decide like, what if we just invent this? What if we just created ourselves? And so that's what we did. And just a matter of eight months or so, we developed our own kind of small business ATM where she can get rolled coin, she can do bulk coin deposits, she can withdraw large amounts of cash, do change orders, make large cash deposits. And they will do that all remotely um, with the support of our team here at our one bank location. And so we did that just basically for her to fit our needs, and it resulted in just a huge amount of success for us. We filed for a patent earlier this year when we mm, found that wow. really it had never, never have been created before. And, and that really set us on even a different trajectory to think about our staff as 55 bankers, but also these Potentially could be the inventors of what make technology looks like in the future.
1: <laughs> now I'm starting to understand it because I hear the way you think. And, and I mean, I never – my bank pretty much sort of says, here's our services, you know, you <laughs> see if this works for you. Whereas I hear you saying, what is it that you need? And, gee, no, we don't have that. Let me see if
0: I can create that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and what we found, too, is some of the things that have really held us back. So we we had two bank branches within a block of each other. Um, when we consolidated branches, those were the last two I closed. And we're, like, in a suburban area, so these two blocks are not high density. So two full-service bank branches one block away from each other. I closed the one that has the most square footage. It has about 45,000 square feet. And I really didn't know what to do with that space. And so I'm a big believer in doing your SWOT analysis and looking at your weaknesses and not just thinking about cutting your weaknesses off, but how can you flip those weaknesses into a Mm strength? And so for us, all the square footage was such a dog. It cost us tons of money just to hold. Um, The economy in downtown Edmond was not strong enough to support office space at market, like what would be market rates, typically in the Oklahoma City area. And so it was this real dog on me. And so we started a street festival um, in downtown Edmond um, to reinvigorate downtown and at the same time launch a co-working space for our, for our customers using this 3,000 square feet. We started first with 12,000 square feet and have since expanded it into the, old, the whole building, including now hosting an entrepreneurship high school for juniors and seniors in high school to be able to get a taste of entrepreneurship. Um, and then now we have a street festival that's been going on for six years, which the bank only is the one that plans. We have it eight times a year. We're now in our sixth year. And we regularly have between 25,000 and 50,000 people that come to downtown Edmond, and they only promote this via social media. And what we have seen is now the storefronts are being filled, That there's the rents have gone up. Uh, there's We now have 100 members of that co-working space, 40 different businesses. So a concentration of economic activity occurring in downtown Edmond that wasn't there before. Um, and so it was really looking, we could have dumped that building and you know, taken a little bit of a loss on it and been done with it, but now we've turned it into something that's cash flowing for us, it makes money for us. It's really um, attracted new customers to our bank, almost um, almost all of the occupants of the space are new bank customers. But more than that, it's just um, it's allowed us acceleration of economic development in downtown Evan and transitioned it from being an area that was depressed to be one that's now viewed as very prosperous.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I want to take you back a little bit now. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about um, how you grew up and maybe share some of the key influences that set you on your path to leadership now that you look back.
0: Yeah, I grew up in eastern Oklahoma in a small town, um, a very depressed community. It usually has two to three times the unemployment rate of the rest of the state, I um, grew up with a single dad He was a probationer and parole officer, but also kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He was a realtor and appraiser and, you know, we had no grasp for VA homes, things like that, just all trying to make money. And uh-huh. um, We didn't grow up in, in extreme poverty, but we're always kind of, um, you know, um, struggled financially. Mm-hmm. And my dad, he's a great man, wanted me kind of make sure that my sister and I um, got out of high school successfully and that we didn't um, um, cause any problems, you know, before we got out of high school. <laughs> and so that, that was really, that's really his, his take on it. was like That was success, and, huh? Yeah. And get, he really wanted me to get married when I graduated and college was not the thing that he considered. Um I worked in the local grocery store. I carried groceries out um, there, and there was a. And I also waitress at our local um, country club. And the community banker in town, the family owned a bank, a Citizens Bank. So it's kind of funny that it has the same name as where I am now. Hmm. But the the chairwoman of the bank board, her name was Florley Mabry, Her husband had been stricken with Alzheimer's, and I would carry groceries out for, her, and I would waitress on her at the country club, and sometimes deliver groceries to her house, but every time she would see me, she would ask me where I was going to college, had I taken the ACT yet, what were my plans for when I left school, what left the city, Mm -hmm. and I would tell her, well, I think I'm not able to leave my little town, and she would say, you have to, you're talented, you need to get out, and I would get get to be able to go to like an academic camp or selected to um, go to something special that costs money, Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be able to afford to go or didn't have the familial support to support me with that and Mrs. Mary would always sweep in and pay my way or, ah. or sure that, that there was a mechanism that I could go
1: yeah.
0: and she literally just changed the trajectory of my life so I transferred my grocery store up to Stillwater, Oklahoma and would work all night, go to school all day. I was a chemical engineering major, was really involved on campus but two years into it, I started really having my covers go dry um, and my bank account get significantly depleted because I just cannot keep up with earning a couple of dollars an hour mm-hmm. while trying to pay for school. Mm-hmm. And so I came back home really thinking that I was um, like not going to be able to to go back to college. And I was working at the grocery store and I was carrying groceries out on a Thursday night. And uh, a guy asked me why I was working so late. And I said, well, I'm you know, trying to pay for college, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to go to college anymore. And he said, well, I'm an Army recruiter, and if you enlist in the Army, then you get to be an independent student, you uh-huh. can apply for financial aid, you um, can get the GI Bill, you can, you know, later yeah. apply for ROTC scholarships. And it was like heaven's open, and angels started singing, and I had a way <laughs> to go to school. And so I enlisted the next day.
1: Wow. Uh, but, <laughs> I yeah, was going was- to ask you about the Oklahoma National Guard and how that experience prepared you for leadership, but that was your
0: ticket. It really was, it was completely out of desperation. And I got so much more out of serving than what I gave. I mean, it, it created financially a way of a way for me to go to college. It, um, it's the military is extraordinary because it takes individuals from all different backgrounds mm-hmm. and you don't get to pick who works for you or who you work with, it's kind of whatever lot you're given as who you work with, but you're given no, you can't tell the difference between anyone by how you dress. Um, mm-hmm. You you, do, you are all the same, and you're taught from the very beginning as if you don't know anything, and so you g- get this foundation, whether it's the grooming and and just kind of basic care of yourself to what ethics are, um, what personal you're empowered discipline, to do. yeah, yeah, what you're what you're not empowered to do. Um, it, it was like I mean that was just awakening for me. I was very insecure and shy, and then was because now I had kind of this new new um cloth of you know just a new person almost like a costume i was putting on it gave me the freedom not having the baggage of my family or baggage of being you know not having the resources or the support it just changed everything to where now it was like this is a level playing field and if i can run as fast as everyone else and learn as much and Mm -hmm. and be ethical then the opportunities are, are there for you to progress and Steve Jobs has this great this great quote that um, you can only connect the dots when looking backwards. Yeah. And I really, in life, you are just led um, yeah. down paths. And I truly believe that all those things happened for a reason. In terms of women, because we're talking about
1: uh, to the International Women's Forum members, uh, I know you're a frequent speaker. Uh, and more and more I, I've read that you are using your voice to advocate for um more women in in the C-suite and in leadership roles in uh, not only banking industry, but in all industries. So how did you come to that realization perhaps of um, your opportunity and maybe your responsibility to um, help address gender leadership imbalances?
0: Yeah, I think I first became aware of it when I was speaking um, around the country on technology and bank innovation. And when I was speaking to these audiences, what I saw were people that didn't look like me. The, 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 they were CEOs of banks, so mm-hmm. 99% of the audience would be white males. Yeah, and it became clear that um, th- that I was anonymously as a female bank CEO. And what caused me even greater concern is when I was looking at when talking to individuals about who's your who's coming up behind you. It was hardly ever a woman, and even those women that were mm-hmm. in. You know, senior leadership position. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to be a CEO, and so, um, and many of the, the CEOs that I talked to were considering M and A activity because they couldn't see a successor on their on their team take over. Um, and what I, what I started to really understand was as a woman when you're giving the opportunity to step on the stage, that that's not just telling your story and, and getting off the stage and you're punching out, but it's an opportunity to say, to, to showcase to other bank CEOs as they consider who their successor will be, that maybe it's a Jill. Maybe just because John doesn't want to do it or he's moved away or doesn't want to come back home, maybe it's my CFO who's been working here for 20 years, and maybe mm-hmm. I need to invest in her. So just. And then also just connecting with all of those young women that have voices that maybe aren't in CEO spots, but getting them to the point where they the light is shining on them nationally or regionally, mentoring them and allowing them to be the thought leaders as well mm-hmm. um, has been a huge investment. But And and then as you do that, you connect with other CEOs and in other um, industries and you start to see that the shortage of bank or CEOs that are female throughout our nation and throughout the world is huge. Right. It's severely underrepresented. And so then it starts having more of a sisterhood of not, not being anti male by any means, but how do we ensure that we, we are, we're being mentors to that next generation, that we're supporting one another publicly and privately. And, um, and then the networking that maybe we don't have sometimes the same accessibility to as what men do, that we're creating those networks ourselves.
1: And what what do you see as the biggest challenge for this next generation of women leaders that you are trying to inspire and are mentoring today?
0: I mean, there's so many challenges, I think, that they have. Um, I love this millennial generation and and their social consciousness and their uh, their awareness of their impact to their community as well as to their family and and their work, and they want to be purpose-driven in their work. I wish I would have given myself grace. Um, as a, a rising female leader, to know that not everything's going to be perfect and that's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that awareness, if women can gain that early on mm-hmm. and, and have, give themselves grace as they, they balance all these different things in their lives, the, the faster that they'll be, be able to really make an impact in the world.
1: What do you mean by that, give yourself grace?
0: Well, like for me, you know, my first child, we have three children. The first child I wanted to make sure that my, for Halloween, which Halloween is coming up, that Halloween uh, I made handmade, you know, <laughs> adorable, um, unique um, thing, little figurines and stuff to give away at Halloween at the at the um, class party so that everybody would know what a great mother I am. <laughs> but, you know, by kids two and three understand like hey can I pay someone 20 bucks to buy cookies for the Halloween party you know and I might swing by and make an appearance but I'm not I'm not defined by how cute or unique or how much time I put into the Halloween candy that's produced. And so I think understanding that your value is what type of children you're building and not what you're performing for them. Right. Um, it just took a lot of time for that. And and, and that's grace because and it's giving grace to other women and like giving them a high five when you see them with the, the, the package of donuts that you know that they bought on the way to.
1: <laughs> to party <rather> <laughs> And let me wrap up by um, asking you about the International Women's Forum. I mean you have so many things on your plate including multiple boards that you're serving on community boards. so why is it that you um, when you were offered the opportunity to become a member of the International Women's Forum that you said yes and what has been your experience uh, so far? I know that you also just um, uh, have accepted being a mentor. the 2019-2020 IWF Fellows class.
0: Yes, I mean, so I have been, um, I knew about IWF from afar and when I was invited to join, um, there's so many women that are a part of it that respect is too small a word to say how I feel for them. Um, IWF leaders here in Oklahoma have there's um, a, a wonderful women's forum, uh, a conference they put on every single year that I revere as a young woman coming up, that they partner with a local university and have extraordinary speakers. And I mean, it, it's incredible the impact a small number of women have in my my state. And then Stephanie O'Keefe, I was able to work with her um, in, in her prior position and just the leadership that she brings to the table mm. is unlike anything I've ever seen. And so... <laughs> Um, when, when Stephanie calls me to do something, you know, I'll be the first one at the door. Because, again, going back to as women, we need to support each other and these incredible networks that sometimes we don't have access to uh, that are more traditionally uh, male. You know, this gives us the accessibility to these extraordinary women that are choosing to take their precious time and invest it in IWF. And every single minute I've been a part of it has been um, one that I will cherish.
1: From the front lines of leadership, uh, Jill Castilla, President and CEO of Citizens Bank in Edmond, Oklahoma. Thank you, Jill. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of IWF Game Changers, a conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, President of IWF Michigan, and we hope you'll join us again as we talk about life, in leadership.